0: Today on The Breakdown, we're going to dash to a door of opportunity in poker and money. We're going to speed to an an opening a crevasse where there are many chances to gamble. You may be wondering why I would be speaking in such a way. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, there's a reason. There's a reason it's because Tom Dwan's here and he's going to be going up against not just Jason Kuhn, man of many muscles, but also Stanley Tang, Grant, (laughs) his name. Yes. It's Stanley Tang, who's the billionaire founder of DoorDash. And what this means is Tom Dwan's going to have to solve a fish, not a superstar like Jason Kuhn. And let me tell you, Stanley Tang, ain't no pushover, Grant. And also guest, co-host Matt Matros who is also here oh my gosh so much is happening we must quickly speed to the opening (laughs) as soon as possible on the breakdown with Grant Edison Jonathan Levy and for a second Matt Matros
1: for a second he's actually gonna be here for the whole podcast
0: i know but i had to give you something to react to didn't i
1: (laughs) yeah no so now i have a a third person who gets to experience the the constant eye roll of watching you do an opening live and actually being like we're actually gonna put this in a podcast
0: every time it's gonna
1: happen well matt
2: welcome to the show how are you doing thank you i'm well i'm not sure that jonathan's reason for talking like that was sufficient but (laughs) i'm glad to be here and hanging out with you guys uh yeah we appreciate matt
1: being here we've We've spoken about him a lot on the show before. He's a friend of a good friend of Jonathan's, and a you know reasonable friend of mine. We've we've stayed in the same house in Vegas briefly, stuff like that. And Matt has won three bracelets, so he's he's a good source of poker education for
0: us. Indeed, indeed. And those are not candy bracelets, Grant. Those are World Series of Poker bracelets.
1: I would guess that he's won more than three candy bracelets.
0: Actually, he has a child, so possibly he has. Have, has has your son ever given you a like a candy bracelet? I think, yes, I have been given some. I probably paid for some as well. So
2: you uh, can't, it's not as easy to buy the World Series bracelets. I think you can do it, though. I mean, you can definitely I do mean, it. Most
1: of the people who have won World Series bracelets at this point have no money and will sell it for anything, right? That's right.
0: <laughs> wow. Cold and <laughs> sad, but
2: true. <laughs> yeah, I went to a dark place. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, well, speaking of dark places in the World Series, um, you know, these days, some interesting things are happening at the World Series of Poker. For example, Jake Schindler. He's doing very, very well. Wow, why why do we to talk about him? He's in play for the uh, World Series of Poker Player of the Year. And uh, there's been a lot of debate about that, um, about if he should be eligible for it. I don't know how he couldn't be really, but what are your thoughts about letting guys like Jake, for example, play in these events? And what are your thoughts about them being eligible to like win stuff?
1: Um, super topical because this is actually going to be coming out in July, July 18th. Perfect.
0: Um, well, maybe he'll have already won the yeah. world series player of the year. <laughs> well, the listeners I don't know.
1: know our thoughts on this stuff because we did a whole segment on the cheating scandal. So Matt, what are your thoughts on, on how the world series should interact with these uh, accused cheaters?
2: Oh uh, man, it's it's a tough topic. I mean, I'm very much a, you know, civil liberties kind of person. And I think, you know, we shouldn't punish people based on anecdotal evidence, but on the other hand, if you have really good evidence that someone has cheated, then there has to be some recourse, right? There has to be some punishment. I mean, they can't just be allowed to go on as if nothing happened, which sadly seems to be more often the case than not in the poker world. So it's pretty tricky, but I think the World Series, they can't just up and decide, you know, without sufficient reason to start banning people. On the other hand, we need some kind of, system in place to police these kind of things. So it's it's um I think it's a bit tricky and there's not a very simple like one sentence solution except to say that it is a problem that needs to be addressed. What what are you guys what do you have a proposed solution? Did you guys come up with something? No, I mean
1: we tried really hard. We spent <laughs> a solid half hour trying to figure out what you're supposed to do and like the the place that it always brought us was to to forming some sort of governing body that yeah. like like the World Health Organization of Poker to, to make these decisions by, by tribunal or something. Um, but that's so impossible. And who wants to, who wants that job, who wants to do that? And then, then it has to be enforced. And who's going to say that all, like, I guess like the TDA rules are mostly enforced by a lot of places, except for the world series, which has its own set of rules. It could be adopted like the TDA. And then it's like, there's a ban list. I don't know how likely it is to, to find a home in enough places that will actually affect
0: these players. I don't really know it It's a weird spot, so and you know, and with some of it it's just accusations, even though like they haven't sometimes I'm thinking of Ali uh, Mservich, for example, he's not denied any of them at this point, it's kind of like I would say common belief that it just is true since he hasn't denied it, and everyone seems to think it, it, it is so. Um, there was a weird thing too with him at uh was it one of the Triton events, or you know was that uh, poker go one he's of the heads up Go's.
1: heads up uh, tournament event. Is that what you're thinking? No,
0: no, no. Where it looked like he was looking at um the player's oh, left cards. Oh yeah,
1: that that was less. Important.
0: Which which actually I don't have a problem with anyway. Honestly, if the guy's not protecting his hand, but that, but but it sort of a, speaks to maybe a pattern. Then he was wearing sunglasses, so people couldn't see that he was looking at the guy's cards. It got weird, but um that is a little bit stranger to me than or, or harder to figure out what to do with someone like that as opposed to like Bryn Kenny, where there's a lot more evidence and he himself has even admitted certain things, like he's admitted to doing ghosting. And, and things like that already. To me, it's weird that there's been no punishment upon him saying stuff like that, even to the degree of like, you know, a tribunal is the only thing I could think of either, admittedly. And I don't know how great that is. got a lot of issues to figure out who would be on that tribunal and a lot of, a lot of things around that. Um, but you would think even like if uh, there's probably like 10 players who could go to the world series and say, listen, if you don't like ban some of these guys, like we're just not going to play anymore, and it would matter to the World Series, like not a whole lot. Like Daniel Negreanu holds a lot of weight, and him by himself wouldn't do it. But I wonder if him and a bunch of other guys along those lines that starts to get interesting, right? Like, yeah. And they say we're not we're not playing any of these high roller events anymore, um, Poker Go or Triton. If you let Ali and Jake play, and I don't know what happens then, but or Bryn, you know, but I that would be reasonable to me if they wanted to do that.
2: Yeah, it's not easy, but there is a way to do it. I I think Grant made a great point bringing up the TDA, the Tournament Directors Association, because there was no particular reason that those rules had to be adopted by everyone, except that the tournament directors all sort of agreed that this was going to be the standard. And if you wanted to be taken seriously as a poker tournament, mostly you went by those rules. Now, as you say, the World Series is big enough that they were able to do their own thing, and that's pretty much fine. But something similar could happen here. There could be some players, what you're calling a tribunal, who get together and say, "Okay, well, we recommend these punishments for these players, whatever they are, whether it's a temporary suspension or you know outright ban or something lesser than that." Um, and we we want tournaments to agree to abide by our recommendations. And if you do, you'll be you know certified, whatever you want to call it, cheater free or not that. Don't use that name, but something better than that. And That's then other other tournaments can be, um, you know, people will be, if not boycotted by the high rollers, at least not sanctioned by them. There's, you can get there. I mean, there's just like with anything else, you've got to, the most important thing is be willing to go down the path and try it. And you can't predict in advance exactly how it's all going to come to an end. But if you, if people got together and tried to do something about it, that would be a great start. And eventually we probably would get to a point where there would be, at least something that would happen to these guys who are,
0: it seems like, doing some pretty shady stuff. I also think that live, it's less of an issue than online. And so I'm surprised that some of the online sites just haven't taken some action. Like, they could suspend, for example, Jake Schindler, and they could suspend Ali Servich and Bryn Kenny and the people who are known to be part of Bryn Kenny's stable. Um, like, Gigi could just say, yeah, you guys are suspended until further notice because we, we're going to investigate. And then they could look into it for as long as as short as they wanted to. But to do sort of nothing and just let it continue, I really worry about the integrity of the game at this point, at least online, especially where it's much harder to police that stuff. Um, from a at least from an individual player point of view, you know, where I'm like, as someone clicking my computer, I don't know who I'm up against. But if I'm playing live, of course, I can see who I'm up against. Like that alone already feels like really different.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a bigger problem online where ghosting is even a thing. Obviously, that's not a problem and in brick and mortar tournaments and yeah i agree with you I, we would i'd love to see something something to show that the sites do care about the integrity of the games and are not just giving lip service to that idea obviously they're looking out for things like uh, more severe cheating or collusion i mean they're they're they do have procedures in place i know that um to try to monitor the games but the, when we talk about kind of more advanced stuff like this that we're getting into here it doesn't seem like they have, at least as of yet, maybe they will soon, but it doesn't seem like right now they have the infrastructure in place or the or the personnel employed to to deal with that stuff. And that would be great to see that happen. I agree.
1: It's tough though, because anything that ends in a punitive route it is a slippery slope, right? Because then the accused always seem guilty unless they have a really strong response that feels really like truthful and deep and meaningful, right? You know? So, like, what's to stop people from accusing something, somebody like Michael Odamo just because he's crushing everybody all the time? Like, there could be a bunch of high rollers. Not everybody is the most scrupulous. A bunch of high rollers get together like, this guy is destroying us. Let's just accuse him and see what happens. You know, like, I, I'm worried about stuff like that happening.
0: Also, all like, I'm saying, well, Bryn Kenny admitted this. But, like, as soon as there's punishment for admitting these kinds of things, people will just learn not to admit it. Like, we see this all the time with accused athletes now where they always say the same six things in the court of, you know, to the, in press conferences. Now, you know, we can't, we can't wait to tell our story. We're going to be shown to be, you know, you know, uh, whatever, innocent. And then almost always, it doesn't go that way, but those are the, those, they know what to say. And so I imagine we just be teaching the cheaters how to behave a little bit differently, uh, you know, outwardly, as opposed to actually changing their cheating behavior.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a risk you take. And I, I think it's when you have to, because it's much more important to me that people who aren't cheating are allowed to play uh, you know when you're competing for money or trying if there's money available there are always going to be people trying to cheat to get it it doesn't matter if it's poker finance or any any other way you can get money someone's trying to do it illegally or fraudulently and w- I do want to catch the people that are cheating, but it's more important to me that we don't ban people who aren't cheating. I don't want to get banned because some, like, like you're saying, I don't want to get banned because someone decides Matros is crushing it. Therefore let's, you know, accuse him of something. And so it would have to be a very rigorous review process and proof really would be needed before any kind of decision would be made. And yeah, I would think that even on the punitive side, the punishments should be maybe not too extreme at first, especially if it's a first offense, um, And there should be an appeals process for players. It should be fair for all sides. It should be fair for people who want clean games, who don't want cheating. But players should feel that they're not going to be arbitrarily singled out and accused of cheating and have themselves banned. Um, Because otherwise, (laughs) we'll end up like sports betting, where anyone who's good gets banned by the sites. And that's not what we want either. That would suck.
0: Yeah.
1: That would really suck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad I'm not in charge of figuring this out. It's it's a little complex.
0: I mean, it seems to me like we're we're still in a world of essentially a buyer beware, right? As the player or player beware. Like you have to really be vigilant about who you're playing against, where you're playing. And this, not that I was playing the high buy-in events online anyway, but I have less interest in satelliting into them now and things like that as a result of knowing this information. And I have tried in the past to do that, you know? Um, so, and I'm sure I'm not the only person in the world like that. And I think... Like, yeah, like you have to, you have to basically, like you're saying, Matt, like assume that someone is trying to cheat somewhere along the ways and, uh, and act accordingly.
1: Yeah. Um, they're going to try to take your hard-earned money. That's what they're going to try to do. Those fucking
0: bastards.
1: But you know, Matt actually came to the show with a place for you to put your hard-earned money. That's not giving it to the cheaters. He's
0: The Matt Matros savings account. (laughs) Yeah, just give it to Matt. Uh,
1: No, Matt, Matt has uh, written poker books before and he's written a new one. Matt, why don't you tell everybody about
2: that? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's called The Poker Brain. And it's about, very simply, it's about how to be the most effective thinker you can be at the table in real time. And so there, the idea for the book was, especially in online tournaments, but really in any poker tournament, you're under a very limited amount of time to make decisions. And so how do you think through the things you want to quickly? And so this book attempts to train your brain and how to do that. And by that training happens by going into pretty good detail about the two main modes of thinking in poker, which I call optimal and exploitive, uh, which I think I'll be familiar to most players. And um, I get into some pretty specific concepts around them. And I go and I have 39 hand examples from real play that illustrate these concepts. And um, yeah, I think it's a really good way for people to maybe streamline their process a little. I was thinking of, as I was playing a bit of the WSOP online, this weekend where, especially if you're multiple ta- if you're multi-tabling, stuff is happening so fast. And if you don't have your brain in position to know how to react to that stuff really quickly, you're gonna be in a lot of trouble. And so you wanna to try to do the work away from the table that gets you to a place where you can make faster decisions. And you do that by thinking deeply about the game and by memorizing a few things, but more just kind of understanding what concepts you need to bring to any given situation. And you really learn those concepts cold and the more you do that, the more you train yourself to do it, the easier it will come in the heat of battle. And that can make a huge difference to people's bottom lines. I mean, I've had a lot of students and other players who, and you probably experienced this as well, you guys, like people who can talk about poker pretty well, and they sound like they're pretty good and know what they're talking about. And then you play with them. and They have no idea what they're doing. And so I think part of the problem is there's this difficulty transferring knowledge away from the table. To the table. And I think by studying deeply in this way that I'm recommending in this book, you can solve that.
1: Mm. That sounds pretty interesting. There will be a link in the description of this podcast for that. Um, so you guys can check out Matt's book using that link, right? We're going to get a link, Matt, right? We got a...
0: Oh, yeah. That I book. mean, I Yes, definitely. Excellent. <laughs> Good. That's always important. Yeah, yeah. If the you, link.
1: Yeah. Actually, being able to give the book to the people is important when you write yeah. a book.
0: I will say that the um, the premise of this book, I think, really strikes at the heart of what we do here in this show anyway, right? Where we're often talking about like what these high-end players are doing and how they're thinking as best we can determine grant. And, um, and often say like, we don't know in real time, if we could have come up with that, we don't think we would have necessarily. And we are impressed, not that just they came up with it, but they were able to execute it in that, you know, 45 second period. Um, and so the stuff that Matt's talking about in this book is so feels really um, like on point to the way we often want to do a hand and, you know, want to execute a hand and, and want to learn how to do it better.
1: Yeah. I agree. It sounds good, and we're happy to have Matt here to talk about Tom Dwan and how he plays this hand today because he plays it in a strange way. That it's you know, often we do hands with with players who are clearly better than us, and we do our our very best to figure out what the hell is going on and why they're they're doing what they're doing. And and often we're, we find something pretty good. But it'll be really good to have Matt here as another opinion as to why Tom Dwan is making the choices that he's making.
0: Yeah. We, we chose this hand, Matt, knowing you were going to be doing it with us. And because we thought like, at least for me, I was like, I'm a little unsure about this one, man. I want to hear what someone else would have to say. So I'm really glad you're gonna, you know, weigh in on some of these.
1: Yeah, Thoughts. and you're gonna get to see what Stanley Tang is doing with all of your money when you end up paying twenty four dollars for a salad so somehow absurd. when it gets delivered to your house. You're like, how the hell was that twenty four dollars, Stanley fucking Tang? Now you're gonna do this with the money? I mean, uh, against Tom Dwan, what are you doing?
2: That's my maybe money. this is why he has to charge twenty four dollars. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, just call the restaurant directly. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> right.
1: All right, so let's get to the hand. Okay. Uh, all right, so. This was suggested uh, on Discord by Semi Montour, who sounds very rich still, same as it's last time he's
0: never sounded less rich though than right now. Mark
1: Testart, <laughs> who I assume is rich with just the joy of of being Mark Testart because yeah. he's Australian. He's a beat poet. He's he's a he, he's very <laughs> angry at any cultural references we make because we're always at least slightly wrong in his opinion. <laughs> he's got a lot to say, this guy. Mount Rushmore, this guy, but maybe yeah. not for long. We got chisels. We, we wow. Could, yeah, if he's gonna yeah. keep coming at us. <laughs> He's <laughs> not going to stay there. Um, so Sammy and Mark suggested on Discord. You, su- yeah. you can suggest there. There's a link in the description of this podcast. To join our Discord. You can also suggest on Twitter. We are the Poker Guys on Twitter, the number two Poker Guys. Join the Discord. It's more fun. Uh, that's also where Wesley Cannon, our solver, is going to post his work. None of the three of us have seen any of Wesley's solver work so far. Uh, we're going to do our analysis, come back at the end, and take a look at what Wesley had to say and see if... The solver agreed with us or hated everything we did.
0: Yep. And that'll be great. Solver, you know, has its own opinions. I'll just say that.
1: I actually am going to have a question for Matt right away because he knows Jason Kuhn a little bit. You've done commentary with Jason Kuhn. I know that at the World Series yep. of Poker <clears> in the past. So Jason Kuhn's going to do something that I didn't expect Jason Kuhn to do to start this hand. We're in a cash game. It's, a, uh, I believe it's high stakes poker whatever. One of many poker go brands that is all the same thing. I'm pretty sure it's high stakes. Um, yeah, Jason Kuhn has 10-7 of clubs under the gun. It looks like there's at least seven or eight players at the table, and he's going to open it to 2,500. Uh, I, I believe we're at 800 big blind. What do you? Is that normal for Jason Kuhn and for you, Matt, to open 10-7 of clubs in a spot like this?
2: Um, nine-handed under the gun. It would definitely be too loose. Um, the solvers do really love the suited hand, so I will say I don't know what the solver is going to say exactly at seven-handed or possibly eight-handed with 10-7 suited, but I will say... If it's a fold, it's right on the borderline. So, for example, I'm pretty okay. sure 10-8 suited is going to be an open year even for huh. the solver, um, although I guess it really depends on what the ante situation is. I, I'm more used to looking at tournament solutions where there's, um, there's an ante and there's no rake, and so it recommends a bit looser play than is normal for a cash game. This is a cash game, right? Yes, it is. This is a cash game,
0: but there's probably no rake because it's on TV, you know, and it is high stakes poker. And there might be an ante, right? Do we know if there's an ante? I don't know.
1: I can try to reverse
2: engineer. Well, anyway, the, the point is, though, this might be a little loose and it might be out of the solver's range for this exact situation, but it's not off by much. And when you're Jason Kuhn and you've got this DoorDash guy at your table, you definitely can play more hands than you normally would. So I'm really not too surprised to see jason opening this hand even if it's slightly wider than what the optimal range would be it's close enough that you probably want to get involved when you're at a table that looks to be pretty soft i don't know who else is there besides Doordash, yeah, but I'm, I'm about to this, tell you
0: it's not soft it's super not soft tom it's so, duan, okay well so there's brunson. only one soft spot okay fair enough yeah. phil ivy tom duan doyle brunson patrick antonius i think and dano negrano are the other eh, those guys out. what do they know
1: yeah well, you know, they they were they were all good in 2004. It doesn't mean they're still good, okay? Okay. Well,
2: that changes things a little. I would rather open this hand if DoorDash is in the big blind, but it, but based on, I mean, just seeing this one, what he calls with here, I wouldn't be surprised if Jason just wanted to like give himself every chance to get involved, knowing that DoorDash might play a pot with him. So yeah. I think it's pretty reasonable. It, it's probably it might technically be a fold according to optimal play, but it's pretty reasonable open. Mm.
0: Okay.
1: All right. right, I, w- I wouldn't have considered opening this hand eight or nine handed under the gun, but, and, you know, I haven't been doing the solver work on that stuff. No, myself, so I don't me know. either. Um, that's cool. That means I get to play more poker, right? If more gonna, hands. Next anyway. time I play, I get to play more. It's fun.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that even the 10-8 suit would be an open where you're saying it is like um, from the low jack, essentially. Because, uh, yeah, I, it's 10-9 for me is like, Obvious, but 10 8 is something only on like very particular tables. So that's good to know. I mean, yeah, in, in tournaments, 10-8 suited isn't open
2: pretty early, honestly. I don't know what it in cash games they, they the ranges are are quite a bit tighter. So yeah. it, it really depends on the anti structure and the um rake structure. But um these suited hands, man, the solvers love them. Now that the same by the same token, like King 10 off suit or something, forget it. It doesn't want to play that. Mm-hmm. One. So it, it really the solvers really like the suited hands. Cool.
1: Interesting. So like that makes sense, but so do you what, do you think the solver would open like King Four suited under the gun?
2: No, not quite that weak. But King Eight suited, it might. Really? Wow. wow! 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 Wow!
0: That's yeah. so. That is a surprise. To me. That is a surprise <laughs> to me. <laughs> I don't mean bad. But I don't mean bad play. But I mean just. Such I a mean bad we can hand. look
2: at some of these solutions if you want. But um, I, I would say in tournaments, king ain't suited is often. Maybe not. Maybe not under the gun into nine handed table. But pretty early on, you're supposed huh. to open
0: king eight suited. Huh. Jeez, I'm I've been playing too tight. Maybe. Well, that's we well all happened. have. We're, it was not
2: just you. We all we yeah. all were playing too tight for you, and, and not just too tight. We were playing the wrong kinds of hands. Like we were right. probably playing some off suit aces that the solver would fold. So, it's all about playability. And of course, as the stack sizes change, that changes too, because um, sure. yeah, the yeah. high card hands get more valuable when you're shorter. But of course, but yeah, you know, in general, you can play some of these, like you can make not flush draws, not flushes with King Eight suited. So, great.
1: <laughs> I mean, you anyway. can
2: if things yeah. go right.
1: All right. Yeah. I'm going to do it. I'm doing it now. That's my okay. new game. I'm opening King Eight suited from everywhere all the time.
2: That's, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> great. You all wouldn't right. be too far off.
1: <laughs> all right. Jason Kuhn, 10 Seven of Clubs opens at 2,500. It doesn't matter. He's the garbage human of the hand. Yes, he's We talked garbage. about him for 10 minutes, but we don't care about him.
0: This time. Yeah. He's normally a treasure.
1: <laughs> of course. Jonathan treasures Jason. Frieden I do. To a, a creepy extent. <laughs> uh, Stanley Tang, DoorDash, as Matt's calling him, and I like that. Uh, Stanley Tang is in the hijack, and he's got 10 deuce of spades. It is the official Doyle, the actual Doyle, and Doyle's at the table. And I wonder uh, if that is why the amateur Stanley, uh, Stanley Tang decides has to call
0: here. That's got to be part of it, right? right? He wants to be able to turn it over, right? right. And say, look, I... Uh, 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 yeah, that whole thing.
1: Yeah, um, so I guess it's just a Doyle thing or it's a Stanley Tang plays every hand thing. Not really sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's going to do that. Tom Dwan, it's going to fold to him in the small blind. He's got two queens, queen of hearts, queen of clubs. Pretty clear three bet. Matt, how do you size this? With Coon uh, under the gun making a 2,500... He's got something like 300K in his stack. Tang's got 190. Duan has a billion dollars in his stack, so his stack is not going to be the effective stack.
2: Two queens out of the small blind here. I'm sorry. So the big blind was how much? I believe it's 800. Okay. So um, we're looking at like 250 blinds stack for DoorDash, basically. And uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you want to go relatively big when you're out of position with stacks this deep. So I think I pretty much like um duan sizing, especially when you have a fish who you know is going to well, probably call. I mean, you might as well make it as big as is reasonable. Um at the same time though, you you don't know if Jason actually has a hand. So you don't want to end up you know putting in a huge number and then having to make a decision when Jason like shoves 250 blinds on you or something. So um I would say I, I do like his sizing. I per I personally probably wouldn't have gone quite this big because, um, I I think I'd rather be able to respond a bit better to Jason's four bet by just calling. Whereas if I make it fourteen k and Jason decides to, I, well, how deep is Jason again?
1: Uh, he was tra- I didn't write that one down, but he's around three hundred k.
2: Okay, so he's he's got yeah like four hundred blinds. You don't I mean yeah if Jason makes it, what's it? I said he's never going to shove like four. Yeah, he's not going to sort of shove, of but he could, he could um, four bet you. And then could, I guess you can just call and see what happens. You're out of position uh, in a big pot. With t- I, I guess that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I think this is against two opponents out of position. You definitely want to go bigger. So certainly no smaller than like 10K, which is a four X um, three bet here. Uh, and probably I, I personally probably would have only gone to like 12K, but I totally get Duan going to 14
1: Yeah, that's what he that's the number he picks. And Jason Kuhn does fold the 10-7. Does the solver like folding the 10-7 now, Matt? Or Yes. Okay. (laughs) Good. Good. I'm glad. I feel sane. How about Stanley Tang calling with 10 deuces of spades? Because of course it's a breakdown hand and it means we're gonna see a flop at the very least. The solver's gotta love that one. I mean he's in position.
2: I mean he's closing the action, right? (laughs) The solver does have you defend your big blind with a lot of stuff, but yet yeah, no yeah, no this so is this is ridiculous I don't yet. think we
1: need to discuss that this is just a billionaire amateur throwing money around, and that is wonderful for people like Tom Dwan. Um, yeah the pot is thirty two thousand five hundred dollars heading to the flop of four deuce seven with two diamonds so tang he flops bottom pair, which is good against a lot of dwan's range here that's nice uh, and Dwan of course is probably loving this flop so. How do you size here,
2: Matt, if you're Tom Dwan, or do you check ever? 32.5 in the pot. Um, I might check some of my range. I'm not checking with this hand against the fish, certainly. I want to get money in the pot. I, I think in Optimal Land, the, the sizing might be a little smaller because there's a lot of just whiffs. Uh, there should be a lot of whiffs in the hijack's range here that can just fold to almost any number. So he's not, if he, if he flatted with some suited ace or some like, you know, suited big cards and stuff, they, you can just kind of dump a lot of those to any size bet. So um, I think sizing it less than half pot would have been fine here, but I think exploitively, when you have a fish, make him put money in. And so he has an overpair here and we expect uh, Tang to call with a whole lot of hands. And so why not make it a bit bigger? Uh, And He may even call you with some random hand, like, um, I don't know. What, what do you think he's going to he even call with like just two random overcards? Like, he's he going to call the Jack 10 or something? He's like, a billionaire I would hope and not, he's but.
0: really wild. I think it's possible.
2: So if that's possible, I mean, you can get a whole bunch of money and the guy's basically drawing dead. So that's, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Dwan does go pretty big. He bets 22K. I would be curious to know if, if the players were reversed and Jason Kuhn was in Tang's spot and had called preflop, if, if Dwan would have sized down instead.
0: Yeah. Uh, it would
1: th- be interesting to know. I
0: think he probably would have, right? Like, he thinks Jason think so. is going to be sensitive to the sizing, and Tang isn't. Right. right. Yeah.
1: Um, although, of course, Jason Kuhn is also not folding an overpair to 22K. So there is there is value to be had against overpairs
0: Right, but the but, difference is like Tang is going to have a lot more weird hands yeah. that he shouldn't show up with that are that are either one pair like he might have pocket fives here, which is a hand he probably shouldn't have. I think he's deep enough to have. Is it. Is he? Probably, are yeah.
1: they? De- is he deep enough? He had 190k to start. Oh, okay, yeah. maybe he can
0: have. Okay, fine. He can have pocket fives, but apparently he can have like a random deuce also. You know, he can have ra- random weird one pair of hands that he shouldn't otherwise have. So
1: yeah, so Duan does size up. We can assume he might have sized down against Kuhn, but we don't know. 22k. Um, Tang, I mean, he can't fold now. He's flop bottom pair, and it's Tom Frick and He's seen him on high stakes poker from 2008. And, of course, like Matt, you would never fold with Tang's hand
2: now, would you? I mean, if I had somehow ended up in this spot, I would probably call, but I'd wonder how I got there. But um, it's – yeah, there's a difficulty in figuring out how to play the rest of the hand, but if you're folding a pair here at this stage, you're probably folding way too much of your range. And, again – it's hard to know what your what my range is because you've just given me this random hand that I would never have. So, but if if you're this guy who has a ridiculous range, then you kind of have to call when you flop a pair because you're folding it. You have so many hands that are worse than this somehow. Um, yeah. So it's uh yeah. I mean he he the way he's played, he should probably call here, I guess. But you can also make a case for just saying you know don't play a pot with a really good opponent with some random bottom pair with no backdoor draws and just, you know, cut your losses. I'm I, i I'm saying I, if, if you if you had somehow set me into this hand, I would call, but I really, it's really hard to even say what you would do because, you know, part of making good decisions in poker is knowing how your hand fits in with the rest of the hands you could have. And so I don't know what hands I could have here if I could have this one. So it, it, it is it is tough to say
1: you just experienced what we experience all the time on this show which is when we are dealing with an amateur player and they make unconscionably bad decisions being like okay if i were teleported to the seat at this point and i didn't have to have like i of course i would never be here but yeah that's that's how it goes sometimes yeah um,
0: I, I will say as stanley tang like the the considerations of you know this is a pretty bad hand and how i continue all that like if we have this hand we have so many other worse hands you know like this is gotta be pretty high up in our range at this point right <laughs> to have a even this pair do we have a backdoor flush draw by the no, way we got no we no uh, that's too bad um <laughs> you know tom is going to check fold the turn you know sometimes right he's not going to always continue for sure and we will bet i think to deny equity if check to most of the time i gotta believe that would yep. be my take anyway what do you, do you guys think that's a good plan
1: i i would think so if, if dwan checks the turn on a
0: i oh, a no, safe it's card, kind of yeah. Pretty safe card. card. Like,
1: Yeah, I, I would think so. I, I want to scratch a little itch here, theoretically, Matt. What do you think about the concept of, of raising with Tang's hand? Is there any merit to that as a thought process?
2: Yeah, there is. I mean, bottom pair is often, hand with, with an overcard kicker, is often a good candidate for the raise bucket, as I, as I call it in the book. And um, there's a couple reasons for that. One is that... Um, you do want to deny equity often. And so there's some hands that you're technically ahead of, but you're not ahead by so much that you wouldn't mind to see them just fold and having you win the pot right now. Um, you also have a relatively easy decision if the opponent plays back at you. So you can. You don't have really much of a decision if someone three bets over your raise. You just have a very happy fold. And if you do get called, you have some equity in the pot semi-bluff equity where you can hit this over card and make a pretty pretty good feel pretty good about making two pair in that spot or you can hit your bottom pair and that's that's a pretty clean out too so you have some clean outs you can deny equity and you have a pretty easy decision if opponent plays back at you so hands like hands like that often make sense to go into the raise bucket now i personally I, i think i would want a little backdoor equity like if i had 10 deuce well in this case if you had 10 deuce you would have to have diamonds and that would be a flush draw so that would be you know Uh, A much stronger hand, of course, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I would rather than have the an even higher kicker like an ace because 10 being while it's an overcard to this board. Obviously, there's a lot of runouts where even making tens and deuces are not super happy for you, although it's still going to be a good hand. Anyway, it's if you've gotten to this point and you're Tang, I think it's a reasonable choice to raise Yes.
1: All right. So for whatever reason that we got here, we're here and Tang ends up calling. So we're heading to the turn. But before we talk about the turn, let's talk about something close to all of our hearts.
0: Really close. Yeah. Our ventricles.
1: Our vent- in the ventricles and the aorta, yeah, all, yeah. all of those parts of your body. It's, uh, it's online sports betting on Nitro mm-hmm. Betting.
0: And, you know, they bracketize everything, Levy. Did you know that? I do know. It's like winterizing, but for sports betting.
1: Yeah, it's, it's true. You know, March Madness is one of everybody's favorite sports betting events every year. Nitro Betting recognized that, and they're like, how about if we made it so it always happened? And they did. Yeah. They, they bracketized things. Don't ask me how they did. It's a, it's,
0: no one knows yeah, how they, they did a it. a special
1: scientific formula. That's just one of the great things on Nitro Betting. But of course, if you use the link in the description when you sign up for Nitro Betting, you also get access to exclusive Poker Guys stuff like our monthly tournament and special promotions that they run just for people who use that link. So use that link when you sign up for Nitro betting, get in on some poker, get in on some sports betting,
0: Uh, have a little fun. You didn't even mention the casino games and I'm offended. Well, I didn't feel like saying that. Well, they have them and I'm offended. Okay.
1: As long as you're offended, that means it's a good ad, right?
0: (laughs) Is that how it works now? Is that how we've decided that's the criteria? For a good ad? That's
1: what Nitro Betting's brass told me. They're like, oh, okay. if you can make Jonathan upset during the ad, and especially if he feels personally attacked, mm. that means that I'll give you, Grant, specifically, <laughs> 10% extra.
0: You know what's weird is I didn't actually... I was offended, but didn't feel personally attacked until you just said that. Thank and now you. I Thank do. you,
1: because if you were just offended and not personally attacked, it would have only been 5%. Yeah. So I got the extra 5%. You're welcome. feels good. It feels like a winning day for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, No, It seems like you so did So Nitro thought. Betting,
1: use the link in the description. We'll see you there for some poker guys tournaments. Okay. All right, so we've got the four of diamonds, deuce of hearts, seven of diamonds flop. Tom Dwan has queen of hearts, queen of clubs, having three bet out of the small blind and C bet. Stanley Tang, founder of DoorDash, has 10 deuce of spades. He's honoring the man at the table, Doyle Brunson. Or he just plays a lot of suited hands. He likes to play all the hands all the time. All right, the turn is not what Tom Dwan was looking for. It is the jack of diamonds. It is the third diamond. Uh, 76,500 in the pot. Dwan does not have a diamond with his Queens. Jonathan, how are you proceeding here?
0: Um, so my initial inclination would be to check because, you know, that's not a car we love and we can certainly call with this hand. So check calling seems very reasonable. I'm wondering if Stanley Tang is specifically the kind of player we should actually keep betting against. If he's just going to call with all his one pair of hands and not really care that there's a third diamond anyway, like, you know, normally I'd be worried about my, you know, that my bet would just scare away all the worst hands, the worst one pair of hands. I'm not sure if that's true with this guy.
1: Yeah, I'm not entirely sure either. So you think there is some like maybe a, a sizing it down type
0: thing? I think that's at least something we maybe we need to mix um with some some like yeah, smaller bets that like a, a yeah, a, a, a callable bet for him. Well, how much is in the pot these days? 765. 76, $76,000, right? <laughs> so much it's not, money. It's not
1: $76.50. So
0: much money. Um, Yeah. So like we could bet like 30,000 or something like that, which for Stanley Tang is like a, an afternoon at the, at the you know, six flags. Um, I wonder if, I wonder if we could do something like that.
1: I wouldn't even consider betting. I mean, maybe if I had the queen of diamonds in my hand, I would feel a little safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. Obviously you're talking about a very specific scenario where you know you're yeah. up against this guy and you probably wouldn't be betting against Jason Kuhn.
0: No, I'd be calling against J I'd be checking against Jason Kuhn. I think Stanley Tang even would probably be bet folding if we're betting. So we'd bet we'd be betting small, trying to get called by one pair of hands. If we I don't even know if that's a great idea. I'm wondering if that's something we should be doing against this type of opponent specifically.
2: What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking at it in optimal land, if you have your three bet range against a guy who flatted pre-flop and then called a bet on the flop, you you might be checking everything on the on this turn card because it's such a bad card for the range that you might be giving them, which is diamonds, pocket jacks, maybe flop to set. Um, But against this guy, if if our model of him is that he's basically called with all suited hands and a bunch of other random pretty looking hands pre-flop, and he's going to call with a pair or any kind of, some kind of other draws besides diamonds on the flop, You know, straight draws, backdoor heart draws, maybe even something as weak as like, you know, connected over cards. I mean, if he's going to have that many hands in his range, you might just want to just keep piling away for value against that range because surely he still has a lot of hands, worse hands than yours that can call here. Um, so, yeah, I think if we were looking at what a solver would do, I think almost certainly check, but against this opponent, I think betting could make a lot of sense.
0: What What is your sizing thought for, if we're going to continue?
2: As oh time? yeah. Sizing. So, um, yeah, I mean, if we're if we're targeting relatively weak hands, we probably don't need to go super big. I mean, normally when you when you bet the turn is with more of a polarized range, which lends yeah. itself to a bigger sizing. So turn sizings tend to be bigger than flop sizings. We have, we're looking at about a, a two stack pot ratio here, SPR of two. So there's seventy six and a half thousand in the pot, and Tang has about one hundred and fifty six thousand behind. So if we were looking for geometric sizing, meaning the same percentage of the pot on turn and river, you probably go around 60% of pot or so here. Um, and that's actually pretty close to what ends up happening. Not to get ahead of ourselves here, but that that's kind of what ends up happening in the hand, but not for Dwan the other way around. But anyway, um, so you could do that, just planning to try to stack off against this guy and, and hoping there are enough hands in his range that you're happy to stack off against where that sizing makes sense. But you could also exploitively kind of just go really small and try to extract a tiny bit of value from these lousy one pair of hands he has and just go like third pot again or whatever, just bet another 22,000 like you did in the flop or something, maybe slightly more to make it look like it's you've increased your stacks in the tournament. We're talking like real fish stuff here. I mean, this is like, yeah. we're just praying the guy doesn't know what we're doing and um, tailoring our sizes to get him tailoring our sizes to someone who is only concerned about his own hand and is only going to say, Oh, my hand's not that good, but I can call a small bet with it. And there are players who play like that. I don't know if this guy is that weak or not, but uh, you could at least consider those kind of ideas.
0: Did, did Matt Matros just tell everyone that Bruce Willis was dead the whole time? Did that just happen? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Sean Bean dies at the end yeah. of the first season. <laughs> we try not to spoil the hands. <laughs> it's well, fun. I didn't say, you know, I didn't say what's going
2: on. What, no, it's true. Anything. All I said was like, this the sizing this I don't yeah, know, that's kind of, you know, we'll see. Mark
1: Testart's coming after you. That's yeah,
0: I mean, you don't know. This Australian lawyer... Okay, dude, sorry. I must, I must have offended some it's people. It's a huge mistake. Yeah, <laughs> he's also a poet.
1: He's also a poet, Matt. You have to run and also... Well, he's, he's going to have gonna to write
2: a poem about me works. now and how I spoiled what the sizing was going to be on the next street.
1: <laughs> he got very defensive when we were slightly disparaging towards slam poetry. So that's, this is the type of guy we're dealing with here. So you have to be careful with those.
0: And guys. he's an all-time suggester, too, at the same point. One, yeah. of, the, <laughs> one of the great suggesters in Poker Guys history.
1: Tough not to crack that one.
0: Yeah, really tough.
1: Anyway, Dwan goes with the more normal decision of checking. It's kind of like, it it feels like in the moment, almost everybody in the world is going to check here. It just feels like a a negative event, this card, the Jack of Diamonds. It's a bad card.
0: Sure. I mean, you know, you may, like, Jason Kuhn, if he's opening 10-7 and he's like, Stanley Tang's playing a lot of hands, you know, he may be, like thinking ahead even of like I'm targeting this guy. Yeah. I mean everyone at the table is probably targeting him anyway, right? Yeah, that's true. Anyway, anyway,
1: dwan checks and we had discussed that once Tang calls the flop if that were his action which it was, that betting the turn would often be something to do to deny equity. Um is that still the case here on the jack of diamonds? It's a it's a pretty wet card. Duan of course did not bet it, but as Matt pointed out, if you're going to construct a range and and play it optimally you're going to check this card maybe all the time it's possible as Dwan. so that yeah. doesn't mean necessarily that one is capped at this point do we still want to bet and essentially just an eye equity because i guess maybe there's a little bit of value of bluffing here
0: what's your initial thought
1: i don't know i think if i didn't have a long time to think about it i i you was know, sitting at the table i'd be like ah i was going to bet a lot of turns but that one's pretty wet and i don't like it and, hmm. and end up checking but i would also probably in the moment think like well and against the players that I'm playing against, mostly it's true that they are now capped, that they're not going to have flushes too frequently, and they're going to be fearful of that card. So betting can accomplish a couple things of equity denial and also bluffing out better hands some of the time. Um, not entirely sure if that's going to be the case if I'm sitting against Tom Dwan. I'm going to be more concerned about him having nutted hands. Mm. Uh, what, what do you think, Jonathan? My,
0: my initial hit is to is to bet here. I mean, we're doing equity denial, yes, Certainly you're right. Tom's checking more of his range than he otherwise might be. Maybe as Matt was saying, maybe his entire range here, um, or nearly all of it anyway. Um, so that's not as great as if this was a brick and he checked, but still like denying equity, still denying equity, Matt, uh, Tom Dwan can have a diamond in his hand with another big card, which we don't want to just give him a free shot at. He almost certainly has overs, right? He has to have at least overs against us. And maybe like you said, we can even fold out a better hand sometimes right now. Um, those are all pretty good reasons to bet. We're in position. We don't have to bet again on the river if he calls, you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, one thing that you said there kind of struck me as problematic, though, that like, I would imagine... It, maybe Dwan is literally checking 100% in this configuration. I'm yeah, not sure. maybe. But if he's not, like, having a big diamond in his hand, you would expect that would be a bet. And if it's not a bet, that it might get check raised. And yep. that's a problem for you, too. That's fair. So I don't love
2: that. Uh, any Any novel thoughts on this, Matt? I mean... <sighs> It's a problem in the sense that there's a chance we fold the best hand, but it's not a problem in that um, we're going to have a tough decision, obviously we're going to bet and just fold if we get sure. check raise, and he's going to have, we're going to be drawing dead a lot of the time there. Yes, it's true. Sometimes we'll fold the best hand um, as for obviously, definitely we could deny equity. I mean, there, are, there are hands like ACE King with no diamond surely that will just fold to this bet. And so that hand has way more equity than it thinks it does against us. We can deny equity, with the bet as for bluffing. Yeah. I mean, if you could, if you could somehow give Tom Dwan like fives or sixes or eights or nines with no diamond, then yeah, he might fold those hands. I don't think he has a ton of that in his three bet range. Yeah. pre-flop. He could have something weird, like, you know, ACE four suited like ACE four spades or something, um, that now you can bluff that out probably. Um, so yeah, there's, you can come up with some hands that Tom Dwan squeezed with that have made a better hand than deuces somehow. And, um, can fold i mean if you're if you're if you're this player though i mean this is this is what often happens with people who are players who are too loose which is that they just show up to the spots like this and they have a lot of hands in their range where it could make sense to bluff and this or to die equity and this is one of them and they don't have that many hands even though he could have some diamonds he could have so many other hands too and so the problem ends up being a frequency. So even if even if in a vacuum, it would make sense to deny equity with this hand, if Tang is taking that strategy here, he's surely taking it with all kinds of other junk hands like this, and he's going to be way too weighted towards weak hands when he bets. And so, I mean, it's the kind of hand where you could definitely bet with some frequency here, but most people are not thinking of their frequency. And that's that's where fish really get into trouble is not not that it's a bad play in this spot with this hand they happen to have. The problem is the way they've constructed their range to begin with. And now they've shown up here with like a whole bunch of betting bluff or deny equity candidate hands and not very many relatively speaking value hands. And all of a sudden they just really can't bet with, with all those hands that look like they're good bets. And that's, that's where they run into trouble. Mm.
1: So teleported into
2: Tang's spot here. Does, does that imply that you would check when Duan checks to you? I think I would, I think I would probably check with a high frequency, thinking I have like a crazy weak range here. And, um, the benefits of getting ace king the, the occasional ace king or whatever to fold are probably not um worth the downside of tom probably still having enough overpairs and other diamond hands in his range that he's probably not folding to my bet anyway yes we'd rather not give a free card if we could help it but if we're if it's not going to cost us the entire pot and it's usually not if he has a diamond cuz we're usually going to get to the river anyway there's there's limited upside to to betting. So I, I think I would check with high frequency, but betting is certainly reasonable. Again, the problem is the frequency thing more than this actual hand. Mm.
0: Sure. Yeah. And especially if you're up against a guy like Tom Dwan, he'll actually be on top of that, right? Like there's a lot of players who would never take advantage of that, but most of the guys at this table, except maybe Stanley Tang, really might.
2: Yeah, yeah totally. Um, and and that's, that's why people, you end up with um, good players who end up calling fish and you, they say, well, he, well, I don't know why you called that fish. He would never have been value betting with uh you know thin there and so and the, but actually that's why you would call the fish because the, because if you look at their whole range they just have so many other weekends and even fish bluff fish people mm-hmm. come to play poker to bluff and some at least sometimes and the, the person who plays every hand is not going to deny themselves the chance to bluff there are a lot of fish who are at least somewhat conscious of this at some level where they know they can't just bet every time so they at least have some understanding, but it's still they still usually end up getting in trouble just because they have so many bad hands in their range and they
0: can't resist bluffing too many of them.
1: Well, it's possible that Stanley Tang only has one bad hand in his range. Maybe. Maybe godfather. it's just deuce. You know, Could be. Yeah.
0: yeah. But but even so, you know, probably can't resist. And I think
1: I think that people don't come to play poker to bluff. I think they come for a reason to get angry. Haven't you ever been <laughs> in a poker room? It's like sixty percent of the people are just there to to find some reason that the universe is unfair to them and get angry about it. That's that's why the fish go to play.
0: Grant, Grant, that's been Grant's working theory for about a year now. <laughs> it's longer right? than that. I mean,
1: people they, they're just looking for something to complain about. Anyway, Stanley Tang has nothing to complain about. He's a billionaire and he's going to bet $40,000, which, you know, doesn't it's, sound like any of us hate this play. It's, its you could go either way. Um, Matt
2: obviously has brought up the frequency problem.
0: Yeah, he's definitely, I mean, Matt's leaning pretty, Matt, I'm, you're fair to say you're leaning pretty hard on a check here, right?
2: I think, I mean, yeah, I think check will be higher frequency, but it's not one of those where I think it's, 100% check or bet necessarily. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, as part of whatever weird strategy we come up with for his range, it would be like a low frequency bet spot. Okay.
1: All right. And uh, is there any action that Tom Duan can take here besides calling that would be anything near reasonable? I, I'm not seeing it.
0: Doesn't seem possible to do anything but check call to me. Yeah. Right? Like if we know Stanley Tang isn't, is being very polarized here and doesn't have a, a huge, you know, high a high frequency Setting here, it's a much tougher spot, I think. But now if he can have all the one pair of hands, all the other stuff, yeah, it's a super easy. Call.
1: I mean, against anybody at this table though, yeah, if you're Tom Dwan, you, you, you you're you're gonna to get a, you're gonna get exploited if you check fold this. Of course. Right? I
0: mean, like it's just
1: you you do you see any path to ever doing anything but call once we're here as Dwan, Matt?
2: Calling looks like a pretty clear choice to me. Um, you know, if, if the opponent's fishy enough, I guess you could try to shove for value, but that seems a little wow, wow. crazy. That would be um, very thin <laughs> yeah i mean that that seems a little crazy uh it certainly wouldn't occur to me to fold against against this player at this stage i mean even even looking at my own range I, I clearly have much worse hands than two queens in it even though i don't have a diamond so you don't want to have too many hands with no diamond in it to continue past this turn but this one i think you have to have
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah well that's what's going to happen he's going to call and the pot is you know very expensive now it's, it's, a, it's a, very, a very expensive car, $156,500. What's a car that costs exactly that much? Jonathan, you're a car guy. You know this. Oh, I know all about this yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah. This is the Tesla 980Z.
1: 980Z. I haven't yeah. seen one of those for yeah, a while. Yeah, it's a
0: self-driving. Yeah. It's actually got self-driving for the self-driving. No, it's two years away. It's always two years. <laughs> it's very soon. It's going to be on the road.
1: Yeah, two years away. <laughs> yeah, okay. So this is a Tesla 980Z of a pot. Yeah. 156500 in there. The river is the seven of hearts. So the board now reads four of diamonds, deuce of hearts, seven of diamonds, Jack of diamonds, seven of hearts, another negative event card for Tom Dwan here. Mm. All right. So I, I can see a world where Dwan would be like, I, if, if Tang floated with, you know, Jack 10 on the flop, for some reason, we're imagining that he's that Mm -hmm. type of guy who does that, that Dwan would want to, you know, get ahead of things and shove to make sure he got value. But that doesn't seem like a very reasonable action to me. I just, I want to say that right now that the checking feels like the most normal thing in the world.
0: I mean, we check the turn. How can we suddenly come out and bet the river? Yeah, it seems super weird.
1: Yeah, I mean,
2: do you have any thoughts other than that, Matt? No, I I definitely would check. On this river card, it's not it's not the kind of hard you card kind of card you would expect to be great for Tom's range, I mean, Tom does have some full houses here, presumably. I mean, sure. he probably did squeeze with like sevens or Jacks. I guess sevens would be quads, but he he has some big hands that are possible, but not enough to suddenly change who has the initiative here and the the player who is more likely to have a strong hand at this point i I would say it should be in theory at least tang. Now, in practice, I don't know if that's true, but mm. in theory, the when Tom seeds the initiative on the turn and Tang takes it. And then the board pairs. In addition to that, on the river, you would think that Tang is the one with more strong hands. So I, I doesn't seem like it makes sense to bet here.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, we're checking. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So Duan does check, and now here we the, go. The moment is here for Stanley Tang. He, there's no more equity to deny. It's really just <laughs> do like, do I want to go for it or not? Because it's hard to imagine a scenario where you're ahead at this point as Tang. I, I can't really think of it. I like Dwan having the naked ace of diamonds and playing it like this doesn't really feel reasonable to me. Um, so it feels like we're always behind. So the question is, do we want to bluff? And if so, are we going for all of it, which is 116 K and a 156, or are we doing like a different size and try to make it look like something else? I'm not really sure what we could accomplish with that, but you know, all avenues are open here.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think if we want to fire away, and this is a pretty good card to decide to fire away on now that we are got to be sure, like you're saying, we're losing once, once we get 40K called on the turn. Um, this is a pretty good card to fire away on. Since we bet the deuce, we probably would have bet the seven yeah. had we had it, and now we can have trip sevens. That's cool. Um, I don't know if we need to bet all of it. We could bet 100 and save that 16,000 every time, and it's pretty much the same thing anyway. You know, so I don't know if we get any more fold equity, really, by betting 116. It would really just
1: 100. be about consistency. Yes, uh, that's right. Know, I don't know how I guess Tang has been playing in these games a lot. I don't know how concerned he is with being consistent. But, you know, if you if you'd want to be able to go all in for value in this spot, a lot of
0: the time, that would right. be a reason. That's that's correct. You'd need to do it with both. You need to do it uh, balanced for sure.
1: So I don't know. Like my initial thought is it, it, it feels like a pretty tricky spot to get a bluff through. Um against Duan if if Duan's going to be the type of guy who does his frequencies correctly, he like I guess I guess maybe he's he, maybe maybe we can say he's gonna fold all of his non diamond
0: hands. I mean, let's think about the hand Tom actually has, right? He's got two queens without a diamond. If Stanley Tang were to put in anywhere between a hundred and hundred and sixteen thousand dollars, I mean we can't beat any value. Well no shit, but I mean <laughs> Okay, that's yeah. something like we could beat value on the turn, we can't beat value anymore.
1: Could we beat value on the turn? I guess absolutely, a little, yeah, a
0: little bit. Um Yeah, I don't know. It's
1: I guess like we know we're behind. That's that's slightly in favor of bluffing. We can rep some stuff. We can definitely rep diamonds, we can rep a 7. Okay,
2: you got me.
0: That 7 pairing is a good event for us bluffing. I think we should do it. Matt, what do you think?
2: I have several questions about some of the things <laughs> under discussion here. Yeah. So, okay. Um, let me take them one at a time. Um, okay. So, could Dwan still have a worse hand than this? I don't think it's impossible. I mean, Ace King with the Ace of Diamonds still has showdown value on the turn. If this guy's fishing up, like that, he's going to have a betting range that, you know, we don't think he's going to have a lot of bet folds in it. I don't know. I don't think it's crazy to think Duan could have ace king unimproved here with ace or maybe even king of diamonds. I'm not saying he plays it that way every time, but I definitely wouldn't completely rule it out at this point. Okay. Interesting. Um, Then the next thing is, do we beat? Do the queens beat any value on the turn? Levy, you're saying yes, definitely. They do because you're viewing, you're saying he that Tang would have bet a seven and think that it's value. Is that what we're saying? What was top pair on the turn? Was it a jack, jack of diamonds? You're saying he peeled the flop with like ace jack with the ace of diamonds or something? Sure. Which which if he he got there with, he probably would have. And then he probably thinks he's value betting it
0: on the turn, right? Yeah. If he had Uh, like two tens, for example, right? Like in Tom checked the jack high turn, he might bet tens for value. It's more denying equity than value. It's not you exactly the same You
2: thing, wouldn't right? think 10s would bet the turn too often, but it's not impossible, sure. Um, but there's not yeah, much there. There might I'll be, there might be some are. value we're beating on the turn. I'm thinking specifically of that ace-jack ace, ace jack hand with the ace of diamonds, which which would peel the flop with the backdoor and that flush draw probably, and then would think they have the best hand
0: mm-hmm.
2: when the, when it gets checked to on the turn. Um and yeah, I, I agree that there's that hand is not going to bet the river for value. Ace Jack is not going to think it's still, I don't think, um, you know, who knows what this, what, what Tang yeah, is going to view as value in his mind. Um, okay. So anyway, so there's two separate questions here that you guys kind of were s- sort of touching on both, which is, do you like Tang's bluff? And then what do you do if you're um, Duan. So for, from, from Tang's standpoint, what story are we telling here? <laughs> um, we're telling the story, I guess that we just made a flush and we don't care that the board paired. We're still going to make the big value bet on the end. I guess that's fine. That's, that's a reasonable story. It doesn't necessarily mean the seven is a great card for us, though. Uh, I don't think Tang's going to show up with too many sets having played this way, like not having raised the flop. The only set I really give him is Jax. And even that hand, I don't know how passively he's playing Pre-flop, it's possible he flatted Coon's raise with Jackson and has gotten this far without having not raised, not not three bet or four bet. Pre flop and not having raised the flop, that's possible. Um I don't know. You said that Tang might have bet a seven because he bet a deuce. A deuce is sort of a more natural bluff card on the yeah, on the turn than a seven is. A seven might have been inclined to just check it back and hope to get to showdown. Again, it's not impossible that he could have bet a seven. Um but is he even good enough to value bet a random seven now when there's flushes inside? I mean, maybe he is. Mm. Um, I don't know how fishy he is. A lot of fish are bad at value betting. A lot of fish, if they have a chance to win in a showdown, would rather just check it back and turn the hand over and hopefully push the pot to them. So I would I need to know some more specific things. But in, again, in a, in a vacuum, it doesn't seem like the card changes a ton, except that maybe you wouldn't go for as thin value with some of your weaker flushes now because – Tom definitely can have full houses here. Um, maybe not a lot, but yeah. I mean, look, again, similar to the turn, Tang's bluff is reasonable, but it's a frequency problem. I mean, if he bluffs every time he has a chance to bluff here, he's going to be bluffing too often. As for Duan, my alarm bells would be going off because of those fish issues. Like, fish are bad at value betting. If he had a hand he liked in the turn, why does he still like it when the board pairs on the river? And is he good enough that he's taken into account his frequencies or is it a fish who's just ended up in the bluffing portion of his range too often? And so that's why exploitively, without knowing more about Tang than what I've seen from this hand history, I, I kind of like Tom's call here. I think in optimal land, it's a very, very tricky spot. Um, but against, against a fish, I think I'm going to end up just paying off. Yeah, so
1: to make it clear, Tang does go all in and Dwan does end up calling after a tank.
0: I mean, don't worry about spoiling the hand <laughs> or
2: anything. <laughs> we're, we're already there. You
0: guys are talking about what to do with it. And I, you know, like
2: I, we we're I, talking uh, about what you should do. Not what happened. Wait, did I, <laughs> that's fine. It doesn't matter.
0: Wait, um, I said, what did I say? Exactly. Tell me, tell me you, what I s- said. You said that Tom called is what you really, that like.
1: And the tank. I want to play yeah, the, also tape the tank back. Tank shop,
0: I want to play the tape back and see. Oh no! Oh, that. you say you said Tom's call. Yeah, yeah no, we we were. Oh, Tom's we, call. We clocked okay. it. We clocked yeah, Tom's it. call. It's fine. You know, a lot of but, people want to know what happens at the end of the show before they see the show. Yeah, it's not everybody. Fine. Not everybody's
2: a professional <laughs> podcaster. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, Boy, people are really like, hanging on the outcome of the hand. When people get upset when we
0: spoil things. What are we spoiling? For, I mean, for it's for a hand years. that your listeners suggested because they knew what happened in it, right? Wait, <laughs> so, so, so now what's happening is the show that we've been doing for seven years with our audience, you're now telling us what they want <laughs> and what, they, what they're going to no, feel No, 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 no. I'm not
2: telling you what they want. I'm wondering why. Oh, <laughs> why oh they're lunatics, would... Matt. People are they're absolute rational. lunatics. People are irrational.
1: It's not like everybody suggested this hand. Two people suggested this hand, and there's like you know thousands and thousands
0: of listeners. So, it's uh,
1: the the many of the thousands uh, don't like spoilers, and it's it's just part of human nature. I suppose (laughs)
0: we're just trying to protect you, man
2: yeah but remember <laughs> it's, if you don't uh, like spoilers why are we saying what they had from the beginning of the hand
0: that's my thing i mean well that's you know? well, so we can talk about the hand with, with we can really analyze it but we don't want them to know they don't want to know what happens so we get right to it to me knowing the cards is like knowing everything right away so well you know, you know. not everyone's a triple bracelet winner okay yeah. buddy <laughs>
1: Yeah, get go back to your ivory tower, yeah. Matros.
0: Like to me, go it'd like be a much bigger books.
2: reveal to get to the end of this, and you said, "Guess what Tang had? Oh my God! It was the ten deuces." Like that would be a big reveal. Well, that's you know, no fun, though. Then we can't do right. that's no fun. Go make your own fucking podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what
1: the hell? <laughs> all right, let's talk about this shit. All right, all right, all right, all right. We know what happens, but that's fine. So, uh, all right, Duan checking Tang moving in. So, what what kind of struck me the most about your thoughts on Tang's move in, Matt, was that. You didn't, it, it, you didn't say it explicitly, but it felt like you weren't super high on him moving in with a seven if he were to have a seven, if he had like seven right. eight suited and got here. Is that accurate? Would you not like moving in with a, a medium strength seven?
2: Uh, um, let me think about this for a second. So I have eight seven suited. I have peeled the flop when I flop top pair. Then I've decided to bet the turn to deny equity. Uh, against some random overcards, cards um, but i've gotten called which means my opponent either has an overpair or a diamond or both in all likelihood um, and then i've hit a seven on the end opponent is not going to like that card could easily fold any of those random hands i was worried about on the turn if i shove so now i have to say what am i getting called by and i have to hope it's like Two aces with the ace of diamonds but that's probably not going to that's not going to like it because any hands with the ace of diamonds and then block my most likely bluff so they're not going to love calling right kings and queens in the the end yeah there could be there could be something um i mean you you never know so you often you want to give people a chance to make a mistake and call you after you if you think if you think it's overwhelmingly overwhelmingly likely that your seven is best, then sure, go ahead and value bet it. You might not get called very often, but it doesn't matter if you're right that you're just like ahead such, with such a high frequency. But the problem is, as, as we said, if Tom is playing, quote-unquote, correctly, if he's cognizant of what his range is, he should have some big hands here, flushes, full houses and stuff. And I'm, I'm afraid if I bet a seven, he might find a fold with some of the overpair hands that want to call me, and he's never going to find a fold, of course, with his good hands. So I don't think I love a shove mm-hmm. with a random seven here um yeah i I don't i don't necessarily like that because uh, one hand if tom had happened to have like a suited a seven himself he might have played it this way but i and he's not gonna i mean yes of course if i I could get out kicked by seven that's also a possibility as well Um, but i also if i'm looking at hands that might call me i don't know i mean You can get called by Tom Seven if you have a flush, but if you have the seven yourself, then you know, it's less likely for him to have it, and of course you don't beat it anyway. I'm not crazy about the shoving with the seven there, yeah, okay,
0: well. I, I will say that if we're in Tom's seat, it's hard now, maybe we know enough about Tang that we think like he can have all these suited hands and maybe he can even have sevens, but it may be hard to even give him very many sevens too, like what seven like does he really have seven six suited? I guess he can he's got I think, I think but, he can, yeah. but I wonder if Tom is even cognizant that it could be this sort of wacky, you know that this, this range can be this crazy i I don't know, so so then we're down to like what can we really beat um like like you're saying, it's like the, the naked ace of diamonds is, like, is a really good candidate um, that we could call and beat. Not only with queens, but I mean with whatever our, our hand is.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, we have to take all of this with a grain of salt because now that Tom Dwan has to make the decision against Tang, Tang is partially, I think, repping a seven, whether he should or not. I, I believe that Tang, if he had a seven, my, my guess is that he would go for it. I, I'm not entirely sure if that's accurate, but that's my best guess, that Tang would go for it with a seven.
0: Um, I think it's possible. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I I guess you have to make that as part of your decision-making process as Dwan is to to make a subjective assessment as to whether or not Tang is going to go for value with a seven. Mm -hmm. Like how much of, how many combos of value does Tang really have? Um, And it it adds a lot if he has a seven versus just having flushes and full houses, right? It makes a big difference.
2: Yeah. I gotta say, I don't see him making that 60% pot bet in the turn with too many sevens. It's not impossible, Mm. but that feels like more of either like a check back kind of hand than, than um, some relatively large bet that seems to only get called by better hands and doesn't really, I mean, it does deny some equity depending on what the other card is, but um, you know, the, the deuce hand, which is clearly, you know, that, that seems to make more sense as a bluff. Not that he's giving him a deuce. I mean, who's gonna give him a deuce, but uh, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't really feel like a, I wouldn't be too worried about him turning over trip sevens if I were Dwan here. Or...
0: Mm. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then that that really changes it, right? If, if if we can't reasonably threaten a seven, right? Yeah. And I don't know if we can or not, but but if, if, if that's the case, it really cuts down on our ability to win this pot. <laughs>
1: well, let's talk more about Dwan's decision here. Like, okay. Where does he land in his distribution with this hand? The, my initial hit is that he's pretty low here with... Queens, Without a diamond. Queen's no diamond. I mean, yeah. of hands that get here this way. Um, do you does anybody have any thoughts opposing that that think thinks he's higher mid in his distribution here?
2: No, um, I don't have any, I mean, he could have like tens or nines with a diamond if he had chosen to three bet them pre flop, which he might've,
1: would you um, would you place those above this hand distribution wise when making
2: this decision, Matt, you're saying because his diamond would block his flushes, So I like, yeah. I'd rather That's call with said. that. Um, yeah, I mean I can see what you're saying. I guess you you would probably rather have the blocker. So now we're looking at hands that don't have the blocker that are still worse than queens. I think I'm agreeing with you that this is probably pretty far down. Um I mean if he if he randomly showed up with ace jack somehow yeah. With no diamonds, if he had three bet that hand preflop, which is which is iffy but not impossible, he could have gotten to this point that way. But yeah, you're right. There aren't too many. There aren't too many worse hands, and so that I do think optimally this would be a really tricky spot, and probably even just a fold. Right. Um, An ace jack even blocks jacks full. It's possible that yeah.
1: could be a better call.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Hmm. Um, but I think you know, exploitively. I think I'm just not folding any bluff catcher here. Cause I just, I just don't buy that. He has the goods frequently enough here for me to fold anything that beats a bluff. So, mm-hmm.
1: so that means you're just folding your ACE King with a diamond hands that the, the few combos of those. Am
2: days. I grant? Am I folding? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: That's a bluff catcher too. Well, I guess, I guess if you're not, you're going to lose another 116 um, to- K the problem with the problem with, um, the, the, I think I am folding ace king with a diamond. That's because I, I block his... Uh, no, I do, I do block some value with the flushes, but I also block
0: by far his most likely bluffing hand, which is... Yeah, having
1: the ace of diamonds as Dwan has to be a bad thing in this spot. It's got to yeah. be a net negative.
0: Compa- especially, yeah. like you said, compared to any other pocket pairs with a diamond in it. Like it those have just got to be better.
1: Yeah. So, I guess... So, it seems like the conclusion here is that, you know, if you're playing against the majority of players who are thinking players in the world, you're supposed to fold this hand as Dwan just based on distribution alone. But if you really think that Stanley Tang is just a complete firecracker, like wild player that you have to call with almost your entire distribution and this hand falls into, you know, that swath of I hands. mean, Right.
0: It's it's something. It, yeah. It's a pair. It's pretty good. I think that's right. I think if this were
2: a real player who had taken this line. The Tang's taking you really it's nothing you can really do with Queens except for fold them. But against mm. him. Right. Oh, and based largely on the fact that I know what he has, you know, it's made a lot easier for me to say, okay, he must have so many bad hands in his range. I'm not saying that I would call because I know that I'm good. Obviously I'm saying that the fact that he has 10 deuces spade means he probably has a range. that's so wide that I just, he's probably not playing it well enough to make that. I can fold the bluff
1: catcher. Mm. Yeah. And Duan does the exploit. He makes the call and you know, he's not nearly as rich as Stanley Tang, but he, he's a little closer now.
0: He, he was pretty unhappy when, when Tang went all in, but... Yeah, he took his time. Yeah, sure. He made yeah. the face. He made yeah. the face.
1: Uh, so, so Matt, real quick, tell us the name of your book again.
2: The Poker Brain. Yeah, you guys can't see it, but I've got a copy right here. Improving Your Process at the Table Through Optimal and Exploited Thinking.
1: Excellent. There is a link in the description of this podcast to that book. Now we are going to take a quick break, look at the solver stuff that Wesley Cannon did. Come back, see what the report says there and uh, discuss. All right. All right, Wesley Cannon, let's solve it. Let's find out what happened here and if we, it was okay. Um, so we were talking about the, this is something that Wesley put into his his ranging of Tang, which I think is really fun because we were talking about how we thought, you know, it's possible that Tang is honoring Doyle with this hand. So this is a direct quote from Wesley he said, uh, Tang's range was pretty fun to try and construct here. I gave him a small percentage of every suited hand since I saw him flatting raises with nine, four suited and Jack seven suited in the episode right before this hand. Wow. That's useful information. I waited 10 do suited higher since he may have been trying to show off for Doyle. Nice. <laughs> so some inside baseball from Wesley. Um, but it's hard to really know if that's the case, obviously. And that's, that's most of what we need to know about that. So back to the flop, uh, we talked about Duan's sizing a bit here and how we thought it might be exploit to, to bet so big. Pio actually prefers this sizing versus 11K when given the option. Hmm. So it, it likes the bigger sizing on this board. In this, in this Tom went
0: 14. Is that right? He went 22. So close enough. On the flop? Yeah. Oh, why do I think I wonder was if that's because that? Oh, no, 14 yeah. That was pre-flop.
2: I wonder if that's because of how deep they are. I'm not used to looking at too many super deep solver solutions. And it's possible that they just wanted to start getting closer to playing for stacks or something. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense,
1: and uh, it looks like we nailed we nailed it as far as Tang's action here. It says Tang can call and occasionally raise. So yeah, that's about what we said. So we're basically Pio perfect so oh, come far. Come on, You're good block for and us. bottom set.
0: Pio yeah. loves that.
1: All right, things are gonna start getting interesting now. Um, on the turn, according to Pio. Duan should almost always continue betting with queens. Like, have a very low frequency of checking. What? Yeah.
0: And it doesn't know. I guess it it does know who it's up against because it knows the range, right? It, so, it knows its opponent. Yeah, that, right. yeah, that's yeah. it, know, it that's knows true, who right. it's up against, which is why
2: I'm, I'd be curious what it is what against a real range. What you would do? But yes, I mean, I can see that against the range. If we're giving this guy a reasonable frequency of every suited hand coming in, yeah, I, I can see it. All right. And how uh, does he how does the solver size that turn bet?
1: No, we did not get that information. Okay, no worries. Yeah. Um, <laughs> from Tang's perspective, once checked to Pio, slightly prefers a check to a bet, but it's basically nothing. Yeah. It's, it's both are totally fine cool. with Pio. It's like, go ahead, Stanley Tang. Give me the $94 burrito with all the surcharges. It's fine. <laughs> I don't care. It's delicious. And uh, as the kids like to say, Queens is a pure call for Duane. Uh, they do love that. 100% call. Never fold, never race. All right. On the river. This is a direct quote from Wesley about Tang, once checked to. And this is uh, to, to Matt's credit here, how the solver thinks about this spot. His value should be 7x and better, although he doesn't really have, have any 7x in his hand except for boats. So that, that means that Pio would not bet a 7 on the turn right? In, from Tang's. right? Um, so it'll mainly be boats and flushes that he bets for value. Uh, okay. So there we are with that. and. That, that was pretty much nailed by Matt, I guess.
0: Yeah. So. I mean, it is interesting to think that um, the the way Wesley ranged him sounds like correctly based on, because he was doing it based on how Tang was actually playing, is that he really can have other boats than we might think, like 10-7 suited and yeah. jack-7 suited and weird stuff like that, that he really might bet on the turn. But still, he can't have very many of them. Does the
2: pile bluff Tang's hand in the uh, river?
0: Uh, let's see. It. That's a great question. I mean, I we should, must know the answer to that. Yeah. Surely, Wesley. Oh,
1: yeah. No, I, I did I did not write that down, but Wesley definitely got that. I don't know why I skipped that, but here it is. Uh, Tang should shut down with his hand. Okay.
0: Yeah. For the very reasons we were just talking about. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh,
1: Wesley says he's got a small amount of showdown value, just under $10,000 worth, and betting loses more on average. Okay.
0: Yeah. That's, that's so,
2: cool. So Paya wants to shut down. That's 10000 of showdown value. So we're saying he has ace-king or something, like, some tiny, some small fraction of the time, and really small,
0: yeah, like seven yeah. percent okay. okay. of the time.
1: Nice. Yep. All right, and then the big decision by Duan. This is the this is the most interesting output. Um, Pio actually prefers a call without diamonds because I guess in Pio's mind the queen of diamonds blocks more bluffs than value, and so okay. Hmm. So we prefer a call without diamonds versus having. You
2: never know when the computers
0: want to block the bluffs or block the value, man. Yeah, that's it's weird. You can make a case either way so easily. It's it's odd to me too, yeah. I, I wonder about that a lot.
1: So even though Pio does prefer calling with this hand versus Queens with the diamond, it still isn't like this is a slam dunk call. It it Pio believes this call to be worth $720 wow. in, in this size pot. So it's basically a break even call. Um any any thoughts on the, the diamond thing? Like we've we've encountered this many times on the show Jonathan and I Matt. So Matt, do you have any thoughts on like when you think Pio is Is caring about blocking bluffs versus value in spots like this
2: um well one thing i would say that i think is related is that pio is taking the preflop ranges you shove that you give this guy and then and then it's playing perfectly from there basically which the fish is continuing to play fishy going forward right so i think that affects things a little bit uh and i think he the fish may be more likely actually to have maybe not more likely to have a flush than pio but might might have taken this line with more kind of random queen of diamonds, just like bluff. Every every queen of diamonds, I'm going to bet the turn. Whereas, um, Pio is not going to do that. Of course, Pio is going to going to play correctly. But but going more generally about um, when we should value the blocker versus the um, blocking value versus blocking a bluff, it's it's very tricky. I mean, I think especially in this case when holding the ace of diamonds. Blocks the most obvious value hand and the most obvious bluff hand, so that that can that can be tough. Um, I would say with the lower diamonds, I would think I would think with lower diamonds you're more likely, weirdly enough, to block value because you probably aren't turning some random you know low diamond into a bluff, but it could be easily be part of a nut flush. So right. I, I would think with the low, with something like we're talking about tens or nines, I think you would um, rather call with those hands. I would think. If they have a diamond in them, because they, I would think they block more value. Whereas you could make a case that an opponent is bluffing with the naked queen of diamonds more easily than blocking you with a naked smaller diamond. So I, I think, I think there's not really an easy answer. You have to kind of get into those specifics. And even then the computer's going to tell you you're wrong sometimes, but hopefully, hopefully you, you can kind of dig in and look at the solutions and eventually come up with some patterns like that one.
1: Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, Matt Matros, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for yeah. having me
2: guys. It was fun. Yep. Sorry um, about those spoilers. No, I mean, you know, we, we knew it. We it don't didn't bother we, us. We don't care. You it's just have just to. Everyone you just else. To your, your Sorry address. to the thousands of listeners. Please buy the book anyway. <laughs> yeah, they, they, you should buy the book. So he'll. Stop There's 39 spoilers. hands. I won't tell you how any of them end in advance. You can go <laughs> check out the book. All right. Thanks, nice. Matt. All Talk right. to you later. See you guys. See you